think about what's been happening. I sort of think it's great when you think about what's, you know, what you sort of feel like you're up against. I can't do this. Does it feel like that for anyone? So I just can't do this. It's sometimes the best place we can be at when we just sort of say, I, I just can't do this. That God actually is in the best, um, we give him the, 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 the best opportunity to work in our lives. And I, I do pray, I feel like as God's people, it's almost what we would say to God for, for the current situation we find ourselves in as Christians in the 21st century, 21st century Australian society or Western society. I can't do this, Lord. This is, you know, this huge enemy that we seem to be up against that, that just seems so powerful. I can't do this. I, I can't. How on earth are we going to see your glory filling the earth again? But that's the best place we can be. That God has created something called church. And it's through the church that God has astounding plans, astounding work. Ahead, work in store. For the church, and that's what I want to sort of look at this morning. It was lovely being on holidays. I think one of the things I love most about holidays is during the year I collect all these books. So I think, oh, that'd be a nice one to read, and I find myself going away on holidays with stacks of books, and I finally get a chance to just sit down and read. And this was this was one book I read. It's called Red Moon Rising. It's a guy called Pete Gregg who started the twenty four seven prayer movement, and the subtitle is The Adventure of Faith. The Power of Prayer. And look, it's a, it's, it's a timely book to read and, I, and over the next couple of weeks I want to share why it's timely. But today I just want to sort of give you an idea of something that I read that really motivated me to preach this message today. You know, during the book it talks about you know, the state of the United States, this epidemic level of drug use and alcoholism, a country that's unsafe to walk in after dark. The church is such a mess. The Methodist churches are losing far more members than they're gaining. Congregational churches haven't taken one young person into fellowship for decades. Lutherans are deteriorating so much that they discuss uniting with the Episcopalians who are doing even worse. You know, the, the, the Episcopal Bishop of New York hasn't confirmed anyone for so long he's decided he's out of work and has taken up other employment. The Chief Justice of the United States wrote that church was too far gone to ever be redeemed and journalists are writing, Christianity will be forgotten in 30 years. The American universities paint a gloomy picture and they give no hope of the future of Christianity in the United States. A poll taken at Harvard discovered that not one believer in the whole school body. At Princeton, a much more evangelical university, they discovered only two believers in the student body. Instead, there are regular student riots, some even conducting mock communions and putting on anti-Christian plays. They openly burn the Bible. Christians meet in secret, keeping their minutes in codes so no one discovers their meeting. I think as I look at what I know about America, that seems like a nice description of the current state of America that I know of. The only difference is that this was written... 200 years ago, written in 1780. Isn't that so interesting? We, I read that and I think you could just be describing what happened or you know, what's happening today, this, this sort of immorality, all this. It paints a picture 
of what I see in America. This, and, and the contempt for anything Christian. And Pete Greg, Greg describes very rightly, I think, a, a very common trend in this thing called church history, which, you know, from Jesus' time up to now. This trend, and it's a trend where society seems to swing away from God. It's really swing away. We're really just embracing hedonism, embracing self-interest, self-satisfaction, self-indulgence. It's not just us. It's not just our society. It's not a 21st century thing that a society would be just indulging in sex and drugs. It's a common thing that happens with any society as it moves away from Jesus and there's a pull away from Jesus. And it's not just that, it's this gravitation away from faith into immorality and into, into this self-indulgent lifestyle and with it comes this real antagonism for Christianity. So it, it tends to follow one after the other, that as people embrace these lifestyles, it seems that the Christians and Christianity are really mocked and targeted. And what happens then? You would think as it feels, I can't do this Lord, I can't, how, how on earth am I supposed to deal with this immense problem? I can't do it. Well, I'll tell you what happens, it drives us to our knees and we start praying together. Prayer movements are formed and flourish at times like these. Pete Gregg wrote at this time, such a plea went out from a New York, sorry, New England pastor named Isaac Backus. In 1794, when conditions were at their worst, he sent out an urgent plea for prayer for revival to pastors of every Christian denomination in the US. Churches knew their backs were to the wall and every church adopted this plan until a whole country was interlaced with a network of prayer meetings, setting aside the first Monday night of each month to pray. Revival came soon afterwards in what is known now as the Great Awakening. This is pre-Great Awakening. I mean, out of that movement, you've got the modern missionary movement, the modern missionary societies, the abolition of slavery came, popular education and schools as we know it came out of that, that time, Sunday schools, Bible societies, a whole swag of social benefits that continue to this day were formed as churches back then addressed the social needs of their time. So much of what we see in our world came from this time of great sort of desperation as God's people said, no, we're not going to believe God's dead. No, we're not going to believe the best has happened, that we may as well just give up and go home and forget about it. God's people decided, no, we are going to pray. One person said no and others understood. We can't do this on our own. Utter hopelessness, and this is what he, I love this quote, Utter hopelessness turned to renewal and restoration as God's people turned to determined prayer. Not just I should pray, I should pray more. Uh, yeah, I guess there's nothing else to do but pray, I'll pray about it. No, it's a determined prayer. It's, you know, this is the thing that must come. This is the thing that must, you know, our church must be seen, the Christians must be seen as prayerful. And this verse, I think, really tells us why that is. What, why, you know, this is God's intent for church. You know, why does it excite me? I think we're living in a time where, where you know, 
we're warned, aren't we? We're warned as people, Christians, you Christians, you're pretty much at the end of your rope. You're pretty much, you know, your days are numbered. You're outdated. Your views are outdated. And there seems to be a pressure if we don't do this. You know, there's these warnings, isn't there? We see the pressures and the sort of things that are said against anyone who puts their head up. It's certainly chopped off as quick as possible. We see that. You know, they might call themselves you know, far left, extreme left, ultra left, radical left. What it is though, it's just this force that, that basically anything they say is considered the truth. Isn't it? You, this is the new truth. If you don't believe it, you know, you're their sworn enemy. And, and it seems like the political powers are behind them many times. I was just you know, amazed on Australia today to see something like a a decision to you know, change the day of Australia became a riot. You know, as, as people just asserted their views, people got hurt and it seems they don't care who gets hurt. They don't care who is, is physically or, or hurt by the, the, the words they say. It seems that you know, we're right, you're wrong. Their actions certainly seem full of hate even though they would call themselves embracing, loving, inclusive. And a society seems to sway away from its Christian origins, don't we need to go back and sort of really discover why we should have hope at this time? We could worry, like some people have written, is this the end of the Christian church? History and Jesus and Paul and others tell us, no, no way. Jesus, I think about the words that I had on the front there, that he, he declared... The gates of hell will never overcome or prevail against the church that I build. Never. And we see that. We see that not just in church history, but we, we just, as this morning, I just love that we could just stand before God. We can stand before God in heaven. Lord, I want to see you. I want to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of glory. We, we need to know, Lord, that you are in control. We are up against mighty opposition and Satan it just seems continually, just never gives up, does he? He never gives up on wanting control of this planet, seducing and enticing people away from God. So rather than give up and be afraid, faith rises. Christians are seeking God afresh and I love the time we're living in. I hope over the next few weeks that you will love the time that God has placed us in and the way that God is really using this small group and, and the plans that God has for this small bunch of believers. Just having the faith to believe God could use us to do mighty things in the time to come. We are up against mighty opposition. But the Spirit of God is continually poured out to wash sin away. And I really pray that, that we see the new stuff that God has in store. We, we have the faith to know that even though we look by sight and see there's so much that could worry us, by faith we declare, you know, God has in store great things for this world, great things for the church that we, he hasn't even started yet. There may be someone here that God wants to do something astounding through. It's not about us, it's about what God can do through someone who just basically says, I can't do it on my own, help. 
faith is an incredibly powerful weapon. To act, and, and Graham preached on a couple of weeks ago. To actually have the faith to say, I'm going to trust in God, is an immensely powerful weapon. Never forget that. We, we might sort of you know, ebb and flow with the, the, the level of our faith, but God loves that people can show this thing called faith. In Ephesians 3.10, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The angelic host. This is something I've, I know with Hollywood and everything else like that, we can get a little bit sort of, oh, angels, hmm. No such thing happened with the New Testament Christians. They were intimately aware that beside what they could see, apart from that was this other realm in which God worked in power and his angelic host, he was called the Lord of hosts. That was what, you know, that, that one of the words for God, the Lord of this angelic host. Jesus himself said that, didn't he? He said, I could call on legions of angels to help me right now. So we have within, within our sort of means, it's not just us doing it. It's not us against the world. There's this other realm in which God reigns victorious. And the New Testament understood this ministry of angels. Hebrews 1.14, he asked this question, Are angels not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Are angels there to help? Angels are there to help God's people. The answer is yes. Angels are there to help God's people. That God could act independently. He doesn't need to use angels. He doesn't need to use humans, but he chooses to. In his manifold wisdom, he chooses to involve us in his astounding purposes, but we're not on our own. There's this extra dimension to faith in which there's an angelic host assigned to help us. I know it sounds, can sound loopy to some people, but what if it's true? What if there is this immense force that God has to do that battle? So behind everything we see in the world, there's this immense evil happening, this evil that's able to influence, and God has assigned angels to do his will, to see the will of God done on earth, to see that evil overflowing. The glory of God, it says, fills the earth. But we know at times... We see evil prospering for a while. But it seems the angels are there to help us, like weeds in a garden, help us weed out the evil. So we see the glory of God filling the earth again. Amen? It's, like, it's almost like the, I was sort of saying to, to my great friend Dave, it's this, this guy, I mean, he was telling me about how you know, they just see 6,000 refugees coming through their town every day on Exodus, you know, Exodus from the, the Middle East. You know, what a huge thing. How, how could you feel that you could even do that? Well, God, is, is, there's nothing new to God when it comes to exoduses. You know what I mean? It's just this whole sense of God. I was saying to Dave anyway that it's almost like we have this bad tenant. Satan is a bad neighbour. You know, he sort of played up in heaven, he was kicked out. And it seems that, you know, it's almost like he, you, know, you live in a nice neighbourhood and you get this, this nice guy sort of moves in. He seems really nice. Yeah, we'll let him move in. All of a sudden he just starts playing up, gets his mates in. And it just seems that everyone's drawn in there and you just sort of think, oh, this is terrible, I'm going to have a word with this guy. Ah, excuse me. Ah! 
You know, you come up against them and it's like, you know, I don't care what you think, get out. And you feel threatened. Do you think, oh, I guess I just better put up with it then, then I? Well, no, what do we do? When we have a problem with a neighbour, we can get on the phone, uh, hello, triple uh, zero, uh, police, <laughs> we've got this guy, sure, they will let, you know, the, the, the operator lets the patrol know and you watch the patrol go there, enough people as are needed will come out and make sure that problem is taken care of. Sounds like God's plan in a way, doesn't it? God, we can't stand seeing, we can't stand seeing this, our, our young children, our, our young ones, just you know, drugs and sex and all this evil that we see, we can't stand seeing it. You talk up again, don't you Christians, you know, you talk about your you know, man and woman, you, know, you just put, you know, you just put up with this. This is this is the new way of doing things. Oh, okay, we're not saying anything then. You know, God, God, you know, help. We hate seeing this. We hate seeing what's happening. Can you send some help to help us battle that? Because these people behind, and you know, doesn't he say that later on, Paul? That behind these worldly things that we see. The battle's in the spiritual realm. It's not the presenting problem a lot of the time, sometimes. In, in, in situations like this, it's not this presenting problem that we have. It's this force behind what we see in our world. And God, prayer through the church, through the church saying, no, help God. No, God, come. Send that force, that will. Get rid of that. I think that's beautiful. I think that's a great thing to, a great job description for a church as we can feel, you know what, I am going to believe that my prayer will make a difference. I am going to believe. You know, I'm not going to trust that just because every church in the upper Blue Mountains is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and looking to close down, that that's the end. This is an opportunity to trust God afresh. And when faith rises up, there's this promise that God will alert the heavenly realm. His manifold wisdom will be known to the principalities and powers. And the mass flown add up. It seems that we are so small. I think if I was to ask people from, say, even Blackheath, how many people from Blackheath? Maybe we might have 50 that live in the town of Blackheath here. And I think there's 5,000 here. There's only 1% of Blackheath currently in church. The numbers don't add up. It could seem like, what are you bothering for? Why are you bothering to trust? But it's what happens. You know, the, the small group of people have this most potent weapon called faith to work with. We have the faith to trust that God is bigger than the problems we see around us. And when we use that weapon, this tried and tested weapon, we allow God to do what he does best. Paul says later in, in verse 21, to God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. All generations. To God be the glory. I think he, he was thinking about us when he wrote those words. To all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. You know, these, these trials, these challenges to us in the 21st century might be new. They're not new to God. They're not new to his angelic host. If we can just trust God, I want to see you. I want to see your glory 
in our world again. Time again as we do that, as we exercise faith, at such times as these churches prosper. Last Sunday, um, quite out of, the, out of the ordinary, Zach wanted us to watch uh, the second part of Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. Um, I was really moved by Sam's speech at the end. Um, in this situation, Frodo, the, the sort of main character, is just ready to give up. He's just ready to give up. I can't do this anymore. He's, he's got a huge task ahead of him and he's been stretched to the limit. He's exhausted. He feels completely inadequate to complete this huge calling on his life, to destroy the mighty evil that surrounds them on every side. There's no way out, it seems. And I love what Sam says. 